Hi, hello and welcome. This is the Zonecast where we interview emerging Canadian professionals, entrepreneurs and academics. And uh, today we have with us on the show, Rachel from Hi Ivy Health. Uh, hi, Rachel. How are you? Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. You're welcome. And I'm definitely excited for this uh, particular interview and learning about yourself and also your background. So can you share your professional and personal background? Yes, most definitely. So I've been in the business world from the very beginning, uh, went straight out of high school into business school and then straight out of business school into my master's of business entrepreneurship and technology. Um, and, you know, that's a very different uh you know, degree than your average MBA. I wanted something a little bit more hands-on and the University of Waterloo really provided that for me with the MBET program. And what it allowed me to do was go into a number of different areas of uh, entrepreneurship and innovation. So I played a little bit in an innovation team in a financial institution in Canada. I've uh, done some uh, analyst work for venture capital. I've run uh, startup incubators with Laurier, um, and then, you know, I've also been on the other side of the coin participating in incubators with my own companies. So, you know, I've, I've played a lot in the realm of entrepreneurship. Uh, I've even taught entrepreneurship, so I taught um, entrepreneurship and quantum computing to post-doctor doctor. doctor uh, university students at University of Waterloo. Uh, so that was really interesting. Uh, I got to do that for six years and it was a, a great experience. And so, um, you know, I, I had started a company called the Mod Market in a uh, completely different industry than I'm in now. We played in the automotive space, specifically creating e-commerce solutions that were 3D and augmented reality to showcase product. And we ended up working with Canadian Tire and uh, exiting with our company through that. And after that process, uh, I wanted to take a little break from the risk taking of entrepreneurship. And so I went to go uh, rejig and kind of reopen Laurier's incubator. And through that process, spent about a year helping them build that incubator back up, decided to take a break um, and figure out what my next steps would be after a year. And uh, within two weeks, I got a cancer diagnosis. And so life went on hold. That is a full time job in itself after, you know, surgery and then radiation. It's you're in the hospital all the time, you're immobile, you're not really up to speed to be doing any sort of work. But for me, it was really, um, my my body was shut down, but my brain was still functioning. And so laying in bed, you're your brain's going 100 miles per hour. And what I ended up doing was connecting with these Facebook groups of around 10,000 women who go through gynecological cancer uh, issues and complications and we just help each other out and we talk and I saw this common pattern of the pelvic health complications after diagnosis and treatment and the fact that every single woman seemed to be going through the same situations of lack of knowledge, lack of understanding, a fear, a um, just complete pain and suffering with their pelvic health after and not just gynecological it was bladder cancers, it was colon cancers, anything in that pelvic area. And so I was like, okay, I'm an innovator. I think I might be able to take this on. 
And uh, next thing you know, I was coming up with a concept. And in that process, uh, I had started my radiation treatments. And because you're in the hospital every day getting those treatments, I was in front of many different doctors. And so they can't leave your bedside. So I literally used that opportunity to pitch to them. They couldn't even leave me. So I'm laying in the radiation machine going, hey, I have this idea. What do you think? So they had to kind of listen to me forcefully against their will. Um, but it worked out really great because I got lots of really awesome feedback from them uh, and validation that medically we were also on the right track in terms of our idea. And that's how High Ivy Health was born. Oh, nice, nice. It's interesting how your own uh, journey uh, from cancer led to this idea uh, and business. Um, so, so uh, as you mentioned that you were pitching your idea to different uh, doctors when you were in the hospital. So tell me what your response was like and what, what feedback they gave you and what was your pitch that you made to them? <laughs> yeah, good question. Oh gosh, I can't even remember the pitch now, but, um, you know, really, we were really early stages of what this device could be. And I am not an engineer. I'm a business person. So uh, I had actually brought in a really good friend of mine who I'd worked with and actually brought into the Laurier incubator, uh, who now is our lead CTO. And so he was kind of working with me to figure out what this device could look like and how it could function. I had also went through pelvic uh, complications in the past as well. So I kind of knew a little bit about that experience. And so the combination of kind of my friend helping me out, uh, who's now my CTO, and my past experience as well as what I was hearing, I wanted to create a device that was holistic and solved a number of different pelvic issues that were obviously overlapping. Um, and so, you know, kind of pitched a, a vague idea of what that product could look like and what its functions were, but more looking at what are we trying to solve in terms of the problems, what was missing from what we've seen, and um, what that solution might look like. And so the feedback that we got through that was very much a, we see the problems, we're directly dealing with these problems regularly, we're trying to solve them the best we can with the solutions we currently have, which are great, um, but have lacked innovation. And as we started to do our research over the last, I would say, six months, the lack of research and knowledge and then the complete um, non-standardization that's been happening in this area of research for women's pelvic health is completely scattered and all over the place. And so every single cancer center, so I've went to two for my treatments, they treat us completely differently, but yet they're right down the street from each other. So um, that was def definitely identified as a problem that that standardization of how things were done and how women were treated and what their aftercare looked like was completely all over the place. And no wonder the end consumer, who is the patient, is dealing with these frustrations is because every doctor has a different way of doing things. Um some of them are super old school and just say deal with it. Some of them are new school and have education programs around it. But it was just all over the place. I experienced it myself. I rarely got anybody checking in with me on my aftercare and my pelvic health. And they kind of just, cancer is a weird thing. They kind of just let you free and, you know, you ring the bell and then you're like, what now? 
Like, am I cancer free? Am I, you know, going to be able to have sex or do anything pelvic related? Am I going to deal with all of these issues you said were going to come? And when do they come? Nobody really guides you through that. And so um, that's what we try to identify and try to bring a little bit of method to the madness. And that's what the doctors had identified you know, later on, especially as we started to say, like, hey, where's the research? Um, you know, it kind of came out and surfaced that that standardization and that research and the lack of that research uh, was really prevalent. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you uh, talk about what product solutions you offer now and what kind of traction that uh, you have had in terms of uh, users or customers? Yeah, for sure. So. We create a modular vaginal wand. Uh, we are not a medical device, but will be going to a medical device later on. Our goal is to uh, track, treat, and prevent pelvic health complications after a number of different diagnoses. So these can be anywhere from menopause to postpartum. Uh, to gynecological conditions like PCOS and endometriosis, uh, any sort of pelvic-based cancers, all the way to gender reassignment surgeries. And we found that a lot of the symptoms and complications that happen in those wide range of uh, complications and diagnosis um, were very similar. And so we created a medical approach out of this um, where we focus on muscle control and response, lubrication, healthy tissues, uh, incontinence, both bladder and bowel. And then what we wanted to do was also focus on sensations. So things like pleasure versus pain and how to manage that. And so what our device does is it pairs a number of different mechanical functions into modular add-ons that can be twisted and clicked in and built for your specific needs as your diagnosis um, and symptoms are. And what we do is we have a mechanical element that provides a treatment and a uh, therapeutic add-on. And then we also have a sensor that goes along with those mechanical treatments. So we're actually able to not only provide treatment, but also track the progress that's being made um, and identify some of the things that are happening in um, the pelvic floor as well as the vaginal vault uh, to be able to say, hey, um, this treatment's working for you. This isn't working for you. Uh, we need to give you more dosages of lubrication or drugs throughout a treatment. Um, you know, we need to be able to showcase how the elasticity is changing, how the muscle response is changing. And so we're able to track all of that with our uh, sensors and our different modules. And the goal is to not only be able to treat and, and provide that therapy, but also provide this data to prevent, eventually move to prevention. And so what we're able to do is all that sensor data is collected on the mobile phone um, with the option to then transfer through to an EMR system. So uh, into your medical records to your doctor and essentially watch how your progress is being made, if any treatment plans need to be changed and adapted, um, and then even move as far as, um, you know, adopting in data correlation to say, okay, you're a woman who fits, you know, this age range, this cultural background, you're going to be at higher risk of XYZ symptoms based on our data. And so what we want to do is be able to say, okay, let's be preventative and work initially to to get this um, 
nipped in the butt, you could say, before things get worse. And so uh, with this platform, uh, we've made a number of different partnerships in it, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, but we've been able to secure three LOIs with pelvic health clinics. They really look at us as a partner versus a competitor, which is fantastic. We really want to work with them to continue that treatment as they go home um, because, you know, a lot of the times physiotherapy, people fall off the bandwagon. And so this is really important stuff. It affects your quality of life and your ongoing day-to-day activities. And so we want to continue working with them um, to help with their own treatments. But we've also been able to recruit about 150 women who are interested in our pre-sale, which is coming up in uh, hopefully in the new year. That's our, our goal right now. And uh, we're heading right now into testing with a select group of about 50 women um, who will be testing and going through surveys and interviews and that kind of thing with our products. So we've got lots of attention. We've still been a little bit quiet on the marketing front, but um, everyone we talk to um, through all of these different conditions are super excited about what we can provide. So. Mm-hmm. so right now you're in the pre-revenue stage, but you plan to sell your product through, as you mentioned, clean uh, uh, pharmacies, you mentioned, right? No, no, we won't be selling through pharmacies. Okay. So the LOIs that you mentioned, is it clinics? Is it uh, hospitals? Uh, can you repeat that? Yeah, so it's pelvic health clinics. So they're the okay. ones who are doing physiotherapy uh, with uh, pelvic floor treatments. So it's pelvic floor therapy. Um, what we what we envision there is that they'd be able to use this device in clinic as well as be able to provide it to their patients to go home with and use. Okay. And um, uh, so so what you are essentially going to provide is a, is a device. It's a physical device. And it will be purchased by cancer patients um, who have a number like, of patients. So, sorry, a number of different patients. So it doesn't need to be cancer. It could be menopause. It could be postpartum patients um, and they could purchase it directly online. Uh, but they can also our goal is to then get it into the hands of providers once we went through our regulatory approval um, and then gynecologic gynecologists, um, urologists, oncologists, a bunch of different uh, healthcare providers would be able to actually mention it um, as a device that they can use. And our goal is once we've got that regulatory approval to get it covered by insurance so that the cost can be absorbed by the insurance companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and will you be manufacturing this in uh, in Canada? Yeah, good question. So this is something we're still uh, exploring right now. So we actually have a partnership with Mohawk College and they are helping us uh, make all of our molds and all of our different components uh, and piece them together. So we've done all of the heavy lifting internally on our end to get all these components together. Um, and Majority of it is off the shelf, but we all also are working on some proprietary work as well. But essentially, um, you know, we're trying to figure out how to manufacture custom PCBs, uh, get those molds done for the actual device itself and the ergonomics built into it and piece that, assemble it together in-house. Uh, the manufacturing conversation beyond, you know, working on testable prototypes and, and usable prototypes Um we're we're unsure still because of COVID, right? I think COVID's really 
put a wrench in a lot of things in terms of sourcing components, where they come from, the health and safety standards and the supply chain disruptions that have happened with COVID. So, you know, initially everybody says go to China, get the products, get them as cheap as possible, bring them over here and assemble it here. Um, now I'm even wondering if that is the right direction to go with everything that's happened. And now we're actually trying to do it uh, domestically and even uh, over in the U.S. as well. So trying to keep it as close to home as possible due to everything that's going on. But even over the border seems a little bit um, unstable right now, too, with everything that's going on with COVID. So trying to make it in Canada, that's our goal. Um, and, you know, we'll look into the future as to what that could look like beyond Canada. Mm-hmm. And. Um... Um, so, uh, do, do you, do you know how big the market is for this particular kind of product in terms of like how many different kinds of patients can use it within, uh, within, within Canada? Do you have any information about that? Yeah. So, um, globally, there's over 300 million women just dealing with gynecological conditions. And that's not including, um, the 25 million women who go through menopause every single year. Um, and women who deal with, uh, postpartum complications, which is about 35% of all women. And so just the gynecological conditions themselves. So this is, endometriosis, vaginismus, vulvodynia, kind of grouping in some of the more specific gynecological conditions. Um, we're sitting at about 43 million women in the U.S. alone. Uh, that's represented in Canada by like 3.3 million women. Um, and that's including all of your cancer cases um, and then those those conditions like endometriosis and, and PCOS. So that's that's how large a market is here. Um, there's about 7,500 sexual health workers. So, um, you know, anywhere from pelvic floor to sexual therapy that would actually be able to also use our device. Um, and there's quite a large strain of this on, on the Canadian ecosystem. There's about 100 million in just emergency services spent alone on treating pelvic based uh, conditions and complications that come into the emergency rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I see on your website that you have a number of different organizations mentioned like Mohawk and Innovation Guelph and several other organizations. So can you talk about what kind of collaboration or partnership you have with these organizations and how they're helping uh, grow your business? Yes, most definitely. So. When I did my first company, I was very hesitant in who I worked with and who I talked to. Um, I realized that that was not the right approach from, you know, later on trying to build out things and realizing that the community is so important in that whole process of building, scaling and and building your networking connections. And so this time around, I was like, I am not holding back. I am going to tell everybody about this thing and see what they can provide me. And so this has hustled me all the way out beyond just Canada. I've been talking to eight different countries um, and partners there as well, just to figure out, you know, what does the consumer landscape look like? Who are the investors I should talk to? Um, you know, who's worked in medical devices? Who's worked in privacy? Everything that could possibly be a part of what we're trying to create. Because in reality, creating a hardware product is tough. Then take a hardware medical product and 
it's even tougher, right? And so what I wanted to do was just connect with every single person I possibly could. And so we've been working with a number of different people. Um, Communitech has been fabulous for us over in Kitchener-Waterloo. Uh, Venture Lab has been amazing in Markham, and they're super actionable um, on how they do things. Uh, Innovation Guelph has provided me a lifelong mentor who now I don't think I'd ever not want him to be a part of um, just guiding me and pro- providing me advice. Um, we've worked with New York Design, so they've helped us really bridge into, um, you know, the U.S. market and, and investor connections there. Uh, unfortunately, I had to to leave. Uh, I had got an apartment down there in New York to go in their accelerator, and everything got shut down two days later. So that was a little chaotic and had to quarantine after that whole situation. But um, we've connected with uh, Autodesk and SolidWorks through their entrepreneurship program. So a lot of our designs have been built on their platforms, um, and it's been absolutely fantastic to have that uh, option. And then, you know, recently we, we've done our, our partnership with Mohawk College, and so that's a couple-year-long process that we're going to be developing proprietary work with, as well as developing out those materials, testings, the molds, and all the manufacturing pieces. Um, and then recently, we've uh, just signed NDAs with Google. So they're really helping us tap into their um, health sciences and uh, life sciences uh, tools that they have for data analysis, as well as connecting up to EMRs. Um, we've even talked with their Google Fit teams about integrating our data into their uh, fit platform so that we can track women's uh, pelvic health, you know, in in real time. Um, And then what we've also done is talked with IBM. So we're in the works there on how do we use some of their machine learning and AI tools to be able to make some of those data correlations. So there's lots of partnerships happening. Um, I just like to talk to everybody about everything and, um, you know, see what can come out of it and the relationships that can be built out of those. So that's why the many partners, but um, everyone has helped immensely, whether it was even one connection that was just a lifelong connection to actually providing us co-development and co-collaboration work. So. Mm -hmm. That's, uh, that's pretty amazing. Uh, When do you think you will have your product uh, ready, the market or consumers? Yeah, so we are planning our, so we're doing our testing over the fall, this fall 2020. We want to get the hours in with the uh, patients as well as with the device to make sure that we can hit a lot of the safety standards that are needed to, um, you know, be able to be certified and ISO approved and all the rest of it. So we need to get some hours in on those devices first. Uh, our pre-sale is, is scheduled right now for about end of winter, early uh, spring of 2021, but not actually shipping out any product towards the end of the year, probably end of summer, beginning of fall of next year. That's our goal right now, um, and that's considering we get enough hours in with the device, um, manufacturing the device is on schedule, and with all the instability with COVID, um, we'll see if that actually holds true. I've been pretty optimistic and we've hit all of our, uh, you know, timelines and milestones so far. So that's the goal right now is to have it kind of open to the public, available um, around, you know, end of summer, early fall 2021. Wow. And 
um, with regards to like engineering and designing this medical device, is that something you yourself did or you had like a team of engineers and designers and medical experts helping you with that? Uh, how, how do you, like, you develop the product and the design? Yeah, so I had initially tapped the shoulder of a friend of mine who's a mechanical engineer PhD out of University of Waterloo. Um, he actually works in the clean tech uh, energy space, and but he was super gung-ho about uh, joining us and taking on the engineering challenges that is our product, uh, even though, you know, a lot of our stuff is off the shelf, the way that it's engineered and the customization around it um, and the medical research that's went into it is uh, beyond uh, what we could have imagined. Um, and so he really started helping conceptualize what it could look like. I took that, pitched it, won some money with it, um, and went to New York with the plan of moving there and hiring a team to work out of New York Designs, which is a manufacturing facility, advanced manufacturing facility. And when COVID hit, um, all those plans went out the window. So I came back here, quarantined, and was like, I don't have a team. I don't have a product. I don't know how to move forward with everything that's going on with COVID. What do I do? And so I actually just made a call out to LinkedIn and said, hey, I'm looking for people. I need some help. And luckily enough, a lot of school stuff had been kind of shutting down and, um, you know, being redirected for COVID-related reasons. Uh, but also a lot of really talented engineers, especially in the Waterloo area, were out of jobs. And so... I was able to recruit a couple people and through some word of mouth and through some co-ops and different programs that came out of trying to place co-ops who lost their jobs because of COVID. I was able to build a team of about 18 people um, over this past summer. And these 18 people have literally made this entire thing happen. I would not be here without them. Uh, so I am at their mercy and I... I just think the world of them. And so this has been a combination of industrial designers, uh, biomedical engineers, um, electrical engineers, mechanical engineers. Uh, we've got a UX UI designer who also has designed um, high fidelity prototypes and, and that kind of thing of this this product. Um, and then we've got a huge medical team. So a lot of human sciences, biomedical and oncology uh, based background who have really helped us build out really, really strict testing protocol, look into what our sensors could mean on a medical scale because a lot of that research wasn't there, um, and gathering the research through our testing with very, very select few women, myself included. So I went through this testing myself just to see if we can get some of the baseline information that just wasn't out there that we needed to be able to make product selections. So... Out of this kind of craziness of COVID, I was able to build this beautiful team who a lot of them are going back to school, but a lot of them said that they will come back because they just loved working on the project. And they're ingrained in the DNA of this product and this company. So um, the team has been absolutely substantial for, for getting this thing off the ground. Wow, it's amazing how... You came up with this idea from your own personal experience and how you're leveraging all these resources from different organizations in different countries. So you're definitely making most of uh, what you can.
Um, sure. and, and that's pretty amazing. Have you wa- received any grants or uh, pitch competition awards? Yeah, so uh, our first pitch competition we won was at New York Designs. That got us our pl- their placement in their hardware accelerator. Uh, so that was about five grand um, uh, of support winnings. We then went on to win Fierce Founders. Uh, so we were second place there with Communitech. Uh, we've won third place with the Synapse Life Sciences Group uh, out of Hamilton. And so that's kind of uh, integrated into a kind of branch of Toronto, Hamilton, KW region and focusing on life sciences there. Um, and then from there, we were able to raise uh, some significant government grant funding, uh, as well as a couple of little programs here and there right now. Uh, so we've raised around 170,000 in uh, pitch competition winnings, as well as grants. And we're still in the running for about uh, 900,000 more in um you know, different grants and, and competitions and that kind of thing. I hustle. I spend majority of my time applying for that because a lot of the investor feedback we've gotten was to get through R&D before they can, we can even be considered. And so what I've been trying to do is leverage as much as that, that grant money and non-dilutive funding to be able to get to a point where we know exactly what our product can do. Um, we have the numbers and we have the proof and we've gotten through some of those big development hurdles so that investors now can see the viability of what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty amazing. You, you have definitely uh, leveraged the resources that are available out there to help uh, build your business. So that's definitely an amazing uh, grit of an entrepreneur. Um, well, Rachel, it has been very nice uh, speaking with you and learning about you and also about uh, high IV health. So thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. Thank you. Thanks so much. You're welcome. And uh, you want to share your website? Uh, how can people find you? Yes. So it's www.highivhealth.com um, and highiv.com is our main uh, product website. You can also find us at at High Ivy Health on Instagram and Facebook. And yeah, we are looking for people to participate in our, um, our product testing. So if you're a woman who fits the mold of what we're working on, uh, we would love to connect with you. So you can find us at highivy.com. Um, and we're also looking to raise a uh, seed round this fall. So if there's any investors listening, uh, we'd love to connect as well. All right, that's amazing. Well, listeners, uh, I hope you uh, enjoyed this episode and you learned from uh, from Rachel's uh, story about how she started a company from her uh, based on an idea from her own ex- personal experience and how she leveraged uh, the resources that are available to her from like eight different countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I hope you find this episode to be inspiring and educational and it motivates you to achieve your entrepreneurship goals. And thank you so much for listening to Zonecast and stay tuned for more episodes.